Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, live from Indianapolis, an underrated city. We've been hitting on that. Really like Indianapolis. Yes, it's raining. I don't really care. I, I like what we're. I like where we're at here. I kind of care that it's raining. I don't like rain. So well, whatever, Renner. Anyway, here at the combine, we've been talking with a lot of guys, talking with players, coaches, some media, and things like that. Learning a lot. But I think the, the biggest thing that's happened so far is these offensive line measurements and seeing where these guys have measured in it from an arm length, hand size standpoint. I, I've been really impressed with this offensive line group overall. I would say, so the arm length, we don't really give too much of a shit about, but NFL teams do. So, so like, it does matter. Like, yeah. if a guy comes in with 32-inch arms at offensive tackle, they're going to move him to guard. Yeah. And, and, like, we heard whispers about teams looking at Andrew Thomas at maybe guard, Wirfs at maybe guard, Wills at maybe guard, which that one never made sense to me. But all of them, this top group, all goes over 34-plus-inch 30, arms, which usually 33 is kind of like the team cutoff, yeah. where if you're below 33, it probably ain't going to happen. But all of them 34-plus-inch arms, so... Box, box ticked for all these top guys. Yeah, it's like I mean, you look at Andrew Thomas had what thirty six inch arms. I mean, that, those are that's arms. that's a big arms for him. Mackay Beckton checked in at three hundred sixty four pounds, mountain of a man. Isaiah Wilson also had you know came in at a pretty decent weight. This both those dudes are big, big dudes. Yeah, three fifty on the dot. He had to like. I feel like he had to know and kind of get himself right to three fifty so that he was going to win because that just sounds so much better than like three forty nine. 347 or like 352. Yeah. Getting there on the dot. Draft stock's going to my board after that. But uh, but I do think there's an interesting conversation we had. Oh, wait, I, for, I forgot. Josh Jones actually 33 and 7 eighths inch. Okay. Not actually 34. Well, that's Sorry. fine. That's fine. I apologize. Yeah. But yes, uh, all of them right there at that sort of what you want to see at the tackle position. So I think they kind of, there's this clear delineation, at least in our eyes. Yeah. Uh, we were hearing Austin Jackson hype or whatever, and he was over 34 inch arms, the USC offensive tackle. But Andrew Thomas. Jedrick Wills, Josh Jones, Tristan Wirfs, and, and I think even to Mackay Becton to some degree, we're not going to be as high on them, but the traits are absurd. Yep. If you want an offense tackle, you've got to get one of those five, and you've got to get one of those five quickly, or else it's going to be a lot tougher sledding. Yeah, well, from what we're hearing right now, I mean, these, these offense tackles are coming off the board early. A ton of these guys are being mocked inside the top 10, inside the top 17, no, 16 picks mm-hmm. of the first round. I want to jump to the running backs a little bit. A couple, couple takeaways from those measurements. A.J. Dillon coming in at a little over six foot, 247 pounds. This guy's combine is going to be absurd. I mean, it's just going to be a ridiculous 40, and then he might not even do anything else. <laughs> Like that, like that, yeah. uh, like when the guys are like Bud Dupree, Obi Melifonwu. When you're that explosive, put up one number yep. that everyone, you know, goes gaga over, and then just get out of the building. And yeah. I think that's going to be AJ Dillon. And I think Zach Moss was another one too that came in and and really, you know, five foot what five foot nine over two hundred twenty pounds. I can't even hear it because some guy is screaming here on Radio <laughs> Row. This is absolutely absurd. Anyway. <laughs> Say it to me one more time. Zach Moss. Zach Moss. Okay. Over 220 pounds. That's a really good number for him. You look at pretty much any sort of three, three down backs in the NFL, you better be above. Or guys you're going to trust to go you know, 250-plus carries, you've got to be above. One above 210, feel a lot better when they're above 220. You're, just, mm-hmm. like, you're carrying a bigger workload. You've got to be able to drag defenders at the next level. And when you're under 210 pounds, it just gets difficult to, to lower that boom. I don't care how explosive you are, to basically run through guys. You better be fast. You better have some other option. And so for Moss, the kind of type of back he is, an elusive guy, the type of guy who's going to you know, have guys bounce off his legs, that's what he needed to come in at. Last, last running back measurement I'll bring up, just because this one is honestly special. J.J. Taylor, Arizona running back, five foot five and a quarter inch. 
185 pounds, eight and a half inch hands. I mean, 28 inch arms. This guy is small, very, very small. He was. He's the guy though who on tape would try to truck stick guys at 185. Like he would try to run through people. Absurd. Now, I, if that happens in the NFL. He might it might only happen once in the NFL, and then he's going to learn his lesson. But uh, you love the you love the moxie of mm-hmm. a guy like that to do it. And and I will say like there's no there's no low end for height on a running back. I don't think like yeah. the lower you get, it's not like you're getting diminishing returns. Like that. you can be too tall. I'm not sure I've ever seen one guy who I'm like that's too short for yeah. a running back. Now it's tough to be to get up to a good weight at that height. Like it's tough to be five five two ten. You look like an Olympic bodybuilder for that yeah. sort of weight. Five, five, five foot five and one hundred eighty five pounds, though. That guy's rock solid. That oh is, yeah, that's that what is I'm a, saying. Like that it's is a difficult beefy to get to dude a, for that yeah. size. That is an absurd size. All right, after you look the, like MGD. MJD. <laughs> Me- measurements aside, I want to talk a little bit about. You know, we had some opportunities to interview some of the prospects here at the combine. I think some takeaways I did have. One tweet out earlier when Chase Claypool beefed up to two thirty nine from or two thirty eight from get it right two thirty eight from two twenty nine. I was, you know, predicting, and Jim Nagy even mentioned it, like, hey, maybe he's buying into this tight end role at the next level. And then you talk to him, he says, I'm not buying into it, committing to any one role. I can play anything at the next level. I can play outside, slot receiver, move tight end, in line, whatever you guys want from me. I don't know, though. I mean, I, I think I call bullshit. Really? You, you, there's no, there's no earthly reason to get up to 238 as a wide receiver. Yeah, there is none. Like mm-hmm. you, you're like you're. You're getting worse as a wide receiver the more poundage you get after like two. After like he two was the heaviest out. receiver to weigh in here at the combine. And exactly. I'm not like, by that. like you, there's name the amount of receivers in the NFL history that have worked out at 238 as pure wide receivers mm-hmm. on the outside. Yeah, I can't. I really can't. Yeah, like I really can't. So now, a couple yeah. other couple other interviews I thought were impressive. Juwan Jennings, I, I sat down with him, talked to him. Very fun dude, energetic guy, and I brought up you know there are people who have concerns about your top speed, concerns that you're gonna run not gonna run super fast. He's like, honestly, I'm not gonna run super fast. I'm not a track star. If you're looking for a track Star. Dude, when the guy says he's not going to run super fast, that's like a four seven. Oh, it's yeah. not going to be four seven. But like, if you admit that, you haven't put you haven't put anything. You haven't had like one forty where the guy. I could see four sixes. I could see four sixes for him. But what yeah. he did say is like, hey, I'm not a track athlete or whatever, but I'm very good after the catch. I'm very good after the catch. I can run after the catch, break tackles. People just wrong. can't bring me down, and that's reflected in PFF's grades. I mean, he's got the best force miss tackle ability in this class, and is coveted for that reason. I'm pretty sure he's a top forty player on PFF's big board. Not going to run fast, but what he does well, he admitted to in that. And the last one I will bring up is Tyler Johnson of Minnesota. This dude had was sitting at a table, not a podium. For those who don't know, at the Combine, the better players or how the NFL sees this. Pro- more, uh, popular more popular players are going to have podiums and there's going to be guys at the tables, the offshoots. But Tyler Johnson at a table, but he had a crowd. Yeah. He has some questions to Dude, answer. That He's, was wild to me. Tyler, Tyler Johnson has like back-to-back 1,200-yard seasons. How is he not up on it? But I continue. Back-to-back 1,200-yard seasons. He was the highest-graded receiver in football this past year for PFF, but still at a table, but had a big crowd because he had some questions. He will not be participating in the drills here at Which. the Combine. Pushing, pushing himself to the pro day when we brought up why he's doing that. He said he wants more time to prepare for the 40-yard dash. He knows how important that time is, which, again, speaks to the volumes that he's not fast. He's not going to run fast. He's yeah. not going you, to again, run fast. You don't okay, – the take is you, if you opt out of the drills, you're, unless, you're, again, unless you're like a top 10 prospect, top 15 prospect, you're not going to run fast. Yep. You're just, because you're not fast, because you're not going to test well. And if you come up with like a foot injury or a nagging, whatever, it's because you're not going to run well. Like mm-hmm. that's just like that. Those are facts. Like you don't the, something doesn't pop up two days before the combine. Those Cleveland Farrell last yeah. year before his pro day. My foot. Mm, he wasn't saying injury fast. though. He was saying, "Hey, I need to prepare for this." I think he understands the importance of it. Yeah, I, and yes. pro day times are faster. You're always going to get a little bit of a faster pro day time. I think because of that, though, I think I'm not still super concerned about it. We knew he, his tape it's doesn't exactly. scream that you're he's not fast. Say fast, and the, and you don't need to be. 
you can, I mean, look at the top, some of the top wide receivers in the NFL. 100 catch sort of guys, the complete, you know, go-to guys in the NFL. Keenan Allen, 471. Michael Thomas, I think 459. Devontae Adams, 456. Yeah. Dondre Hopkins, 457. You don't need it. Yeah. If you have other things in your toolbox, you don't need it. And I think that's where he, the, the sort of, the sort of mold he falls into. And another thing he brought up, too, is like he thinks that he sees himself a big strength of his is the versatility. He thinks he can play inside, outside. He yeah. said the feedback he's gotten from teams is they see him projecting as the slot receiver outside. He can do a lot of different things yeah. for him. I, I really do like, and I've said this before, I like him I like him to, to Cooper Cup, playing like a lot in the slot but not being yeah. able to be this deep speed guy but could actually create separation at the intermediate and short areas of the field and, and find work that way. I do like that comp for, for Tyler Johnson. His comp for me was Devontae Adams, and that was literally the first guy he brought up when he said who do you watch the, you know, at the NFL level? He's like Devontae Adams and a few other guys but I thought that was just interesting but I can't believe you said this is the last guy you're going to bring up the most interesting interview to me all day long was C.J. O'Grady Cheyenne O'Grady oh yeah that's right far and away you come to me and you're like uh, I'm going to ask him you know before he even gets up on the podium I'm going to ask him you know what ha- like what happened with the suspension late in the year and I'm like yeah, yeah as if he's ever going to like say anything about mm-hmm. the suspension and then getting you know, leaving Arkansas which was reported that he left Arkansas first thing you ask him that and he's like I want to clear up that uh, I didn't actually leave Arkansas. I was kicked off the team. Yeah. I missed a workout after the Alabama game. He said my body was tired. It was immature or whatever. And actually was like contrite and very open about all that shit that I th- happened. I was, I was very impressed with how confident he was being that open about the situation. I was fully expecting as we prepared to interview him. Like we were the first guys to ask him a question. I was expecting him to say, hey, I'm not willing to talk about that. That's something that I'm going to handle with the mm-hmm. NFL teams, whatever it was. But he was like, hey, you know, I got kind of shafted. I mean, he even mentioned like, you know, the coaching hey, staff didn't upset. put him. Yeah, he was upset. He's like, you know, they, they marketed it as or presented it as this mutual decision but no I was kicked off the team and he admitted some fault of his own he said there was yeah. immaturity I didn't approach things the right way but very transparent about what he was you know what happened at Arkansas and I think he answered some questions for us I mean he's rebranded from Cheyenne to <laughs> I was gonna say like it yes he said all the right things yeah I'm not gonna I'm, I'm just not like fully sold at least because, he answered it, some it, questions it, I didn't say I'm not necessarily saying his answers to those are going to elevate his stock but I think there were a lot of questions about what happened at Arkansas and I think he answered them. I would say because but yeah okay yeah yes like stock wise and whatever uh but like he he very much was like uh like you said a rebrand it's, yeah it's what it felt like it was like he even said I'm the that was the old CJ this I'm is like, the new CJ O'Grady and this <laughs> yeah. is a guy who's very it was like mature Chipotle and all after these... they gave everyone uh whatever that disease it's oh like, that's oh, right like, uh, yeah yeah that's this is the new Chipotle that that was our we don't even know that guy <laughs> to listen to that full interview go ahead and go to uh our, our Twitter we dropped it on Twitter we have the full interview laid out there but uh speaking of interviews we've talked to a lot of great media members here we talked to Jeff Ratcliffe PFF's own director of fantasy we're going to stitch that in into the podcast right after this we also talked to John Ledyard of Pewter Report, formerly the Draft Network, and, and also Jordan Reed of the, the Draft Network currently. Um, played quarterback at a small school in North Carolina North for a little bit. Carolina. North Carolina Central University. Something along those lines, but <laughs> offered some great analysis on this draft class, so a lot of good stuff there. We're going to be doing interviews and, and different things this entire week. Make sure to tune in to Two for One Drafts Podcast wherever. Spotify, Twitter, Stop. Stitcher. Stop. <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts, find Two for One Drafts. This has been Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Two for One Drafts. Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Mike Renner and Austin Gale here with Jordan Reed of the Draft Network, not the Washington Redskins <laughs> tight end. But I got to bring in with this. I love the fact that you do lean into that joke because it's just too easy not to. 
Yeah, and it's something that happened about a year ago, and I think a guy was just making a mistake, and he didn't look at my Avi or anything like that, my <laughs> profile picture, and he was just going off about Jordan Reed. He had just suffered one of his earlier concussions. I know he suffered a whole bunch of them to this point, but he had just suffered his first concussion, and he was just going absolutely crazy. And I was just like, hey, man, I'm not that guy, so why are you going off on me? So, <laughs> it's not even spelled the same, is no, it? No, it's not. I mean, come on. It's, it's the picture, the spelling, like yeah. at a certain point. You got to not do that. But go ahead and give us a little bit of background. Your actual background, not the Redskins tight end background, <laughs> but your actual background, how you started kind of in this business, then how you got on with uh, the Draft Network. So I'll go all the way back to my college days. I played at a small school called North Carolina Central University. It's in Durham, North Carolina. I'm sure everybody has heard mm-hmm. of Duke before. It's about five minutes away from that uh, small school. I was a three year starter there, played quarterback there. Um, after that, I went right into coaching for five years. I was a graduate assistant for two years. And then after that, I made a transition to full-time coach, being a quarterback and a wide receivers coach. Um, after that, we were unfortunately let go uh, in 2017. And then I wanted to figure out a way I could combine sports journalism and then what I had learned as a recruiting coordinator, as a quarterback, and as a full-time coach. So uh, the Draft Network gave me a call. I was a blogger up until that point, just writing about the draft and, you know, just posting all 22 clips and you know they gave me a great opportunity and that's what happened so uh, why, why draft why like what intrigued you because like it seems like it's either like you're into the draft or you're kind of like man the draft it seems mm-hmm. like so growing up I used to watch all seven rounds of the draft and like my friends thought I was maniacs and <laughs> my parents used to always tell me like just go play outside for a little <laughs> bit because back then the draft was two days if you yeah, remember yeah. that yeah, 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 it yeah, was something. like 12 hours long so it was also I'm in just, May wasn't it or a little bit later no it was in April oh, yeah it was yeah. in April so you're, I'm just sitting in front of the tw- uh, front of the TV for like 12 hours you know just smashing pizza soda <laughs> for 12 hours the dream. straight that sounds, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds familiar and just watching all seven rounds and you know just figuring out what makes guys tick and then their background information that's something that I've always been interested in and you know being a recruiting coordinator for three years that really helped me with that mm. and then I really found a love for that when I started to be a recruiting coordinator and just how you could fit so many puzzle pieces together to form a team so that's really how I got into scouting and then drafting as well give us a little bit of the secret sauce talk to us about your your process and your evaluation process and how that's developed even not the whole thing obviously we could talk hours about it but you know how you go about scouting prospects or certain positions yeah so it's, it's really I think it varies by position just because there's some guys where you want to watch every single game like quarterbacks you want to see every single game and you want to chart some of those games that they do play but there's other positions where you want to watch four to six games I think that's a sweet spot for watching some of these guys and your process is different just very varying upon the position with, with quarterbacks you want to see basically how they operate from the ground up mm-hmm. how are their footwork how do they process this what type of window throws do they make so uh, just seeing things of that nature then with running backs I go on down the list I'm big on footwork with mm-hmm. running backs just seeing how well they process things and how quick they're able to react and then their vision I think that's the biggest things with running backs so just pulling the curtain back a little bit with some positions so at the quarterback position as a former quarterback scouting quarterbacks what like you always hear guys with you know, so Jordan Love as an example he has big traits but you can people are you know coaches in the NFL think they can clean up certain things like maybe footwork or consistency as a former quarterback do you think those are actually things you can uh, what can you sort of clean up at the NFL level can you clean up footwork consistency accuracy are those things that can actually change that's a great with question. better coaching yeah, it is a really good question. And I think there's there's certain things you can clean up as far as decision making. Mm-hmm. I think there's some guys that they have that daredevil mentality and they have a lot of confidence in their arm. So they just make some boneheaded throws from time to time yeah. thinking that they can fit it in those certain windows when they just can't or they don't have the ability to. 
Now, with accuracy, I think that's something that you have or you don't. I just think that's something that's not really improvable. And for a guy like Jordan Love, I don't think it's necessarily an accuracy thing. I think it's just a decision-making thing. So, uh, I mean, you guys know I'm a big fan of him. Mm -hmm. I know you guys are kind of on the fence about him a little (laughs) bit. So I'm sure that's a debate that we have had uh, back and forth already. But um, just decision-making and accuracy, I think that's two things that I definitely – put value in with quarterbacks and I think we've seen with accuracy specifically we started doing ball location charting at the college level I think over the past two or three years and at the NFL as well and we see it being one of those more stable metrics for quarterback play especially clean pocket accuracy and ball location down the football field I think I would agree with you that you're either accurate or you're not it's hard to develop accuracy down the football field but we are we are here in Indianapolis at the combine you speak to your process what are you looking for here in Indianapolis I know people speak to the interview process you won't be able to see the medicals but that's a big part of it too but what are you looking to gain from this experience um well you guys know I'm big on background information so just seeing these guys get up to the podium and see how much of a presence that they have and then a guy like Tua, Tua Tagovailoa, he's a guy that had a huge presence. And, you know, you're going to have the media scrum of people wanting to get their information in, you know, questions to him. But how do they how do they interact with the media and then the type of presence that they have when they're up there? So, And then we see guys in years past where it just hasn't been good for them. A guy like Ja'Kai Polite, for example, <laughs> last year that Man. just didn't handle the situation well. So, you, <laughs> right? so <laughs> you want to see how these guys handle situations. And then I'm big with the on-field drills, not necessarily just the testing, but how well does Jeffrey Okuda transition in and out of his breaks during the W drill Mm -hmm. is it as smooth as he looks on film Mm -hmm. or does it not match up and then of course with some of the traits that you have especially with these offensive tackles you want to see how well they run 10 yard split I think that's something that's very important with them just because you want to see how well they move in space and how quick they're able to get out in space as well so on-field testing on-field drills are definitely something that I look forward to so so if you see a guy at the podium and we've talked about Jerry Tillery Notre Dame defense tackle last year a lot in terms of like the bad not necessarily character but the way they holds himself the way yeah the presence the bad presence you see a guy like that are you literally dropping him down your board saying you know I don't think the mentality or whatever isn't there to play in the NFL I wouldn't necessarily say drop him, but it does make you worry a little bit, especially like I'm big on confidence, especially at quarterback and then a guy like Jerry Tillery as well. And just take Joe Burrow, for example. He was completely comfortable up Mm. there, and I love the presence that he had. But a guy like Tillery, I don't think you would necessarily drop him, but it does worry you a little bit just because of he wasn't confident up there. and You Mm. want to see them take it head on and take it in stride. Who are some of the guys you've already kind of seen today? We've gone through quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends. Who are some guys that have impressed you with that presence or impressed you in this interview process? Uh, Jerry Judy was mm-hmm. one. Um, <laughs> Twitter is going crazy right now. The star oh, David oh, is up yeah. there. Um, uh, nicknamed <laughs> Jew. I like that, though. Like, I, I think it's a plus. I saw it as a plus. Hair, hair beard combo I think was questionable. Yeah. Let's just be honest. Let's <laughs> yeah. just bring it up here. But I, I think uh, – I was impressed with Judy, too. Others, too. Um, Henry Ruggs was another guy that had a presence. And, you know, he's he's mentioning John Ross in every single sentence that he's <laughs> talking about right now, how he wants to break his record. And I just love how he's taking that in stride. And he's not running away or shying away from the moment. Mm-hmm. Jordan Love was another guy that I thought had a really good press conference today. And I love that he took the 17 interceptions from this year in stride. And he said, a direct quote he was saying, or somebody asked him, are you just tired of talking about the 17 interceptions? And he said, no, I shouldn't have thrown them. If I didn't, wow. yeah. if I didn't want to talk about him. So I thought that was a really good answer. All right, let's get to your draft board, though. Let's get to your actual takes on this year's mm-hmm. draft class. That's what the people want to know, who you're high on, who you're low on. Give me some of your guys, quote-unquote, in this class that you'll go to bat for that maybe other people won't. Um, so there's a couple of them. And the small school guy, Kyle Duggar from okay. Lenore Ryan, he's one guy that I like a lot. And 
I say this all the time, just watching him down at the Senior Bowl. I actually got to watch him live when they play Carson Newman this year. I went down yeah. there and check him out in Hickory, North Carolina, uh, which is right down to where I stay, about an hour away. So I went down to check him out. And something that you want to see with these small school guys is that if you just attend a game and you have no clue who you're watching, that guy is supposed to stand out. And he did exactly that. And then if you were to put a Michigan or Ohio State helmet on him or Alabama helmet on him at the Senior Bowl, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference just mm-hmm. because he had a, a yeah. Lenore Ryan a helmet on. So Kyle Duggar definitely is one. Uh, Josh Jones is another from Houston that I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of. And a lot of people are saying that he's raw, which I'm completely fine with that. And I think some of the traits that he does lack right now as far as a run blocker, I think that's very improvable. But the thing you want to see with these offensive tackles is how well do they pass protect just because I think that's something that you really can't improve upon in the league. That's not really something that you can coach into them. Mm -hmm. So him already having that and then being productive for four years as a four-year starter, I think walking through the door, I think he could be a franchise left tackle. Yeah, the Duggar thing is interesting because you don't get recognized for instincts at D2. You're not (laughs) not like a 4'6 guy who knows the game inside and out and get recognized. You get recognized because of the explosiveness. But then at the Senior Bowl, like – Oh, you saw all of it. It's right. like, it, oh, it looks like explosive against D2 guys, but that, yeah, you have them, what, 38th on your board here? Yeah. So that's, that's pretty high. How much of Duggar's background have you looked into? I was reading, you know, PFF's draft guy that did a lot of the background work looking at that late bloomer stuff, yeah. and, like showing up freshman years, like, what, five foot six or yeah. something like that, and then getting all the way up to six one. What other things have you read in his background that have impressed you? So he's a really interesting case, and what happened with him was that he wasn't heavily recruited out of high school, and then. The, the original staff that recruited him to Lenore Ryan, mm-hmm. they got fired oh, wow. in February when they were recruiting him. <laughs> so the there was a, a graduate assistant. His name does slip my mind right now. I hate mm-hmm. I can't give him credit. But he was the one guy that was recruiting him at Lenore Ryan. And this was the only school that offered him. Oh, wow. And so he took. it was a bit of a shot in the dark with him. And then he stayed the course with them. He ended up signing with them, and it ended up working out for him. So he has a pretty unique story. Who are some guys that, you know, you talk about guys you're higher on, but let's get to the guys that you're also lower on, guys that maybe, you know, others you see higher in this class, but you have a lower grade on right now. Um, I wouldn't say it's super low, but I think Andrew Thomas is one guy that I'm a little bit down on. I still mm-hmm. think he's one of the top five tackle in this class, but his pass sets do worry me a little bit. I think he has to get in a quick fire offense, a lot of three-step drops. So Andrew Thomas definitely would be one. I see here that you have Jabari Zuniga at yeah. 76th on your draft yeah. board. We are very low on him. He didn't even make our latest top 150. What do you see about Zuniga that you like? You have him seven spots below Curtis Weaver, who mm-hmm. we're big fans of here. What's, what about Zuniga do you think is going to translate to the next level? It's just consistency with him. That's mm-hmm. the one thing. He has battled some injuries this year. I know he had an ankle injury and some others as well, but it's just consistency. And you see some of the traits. He'll have a highlight sack, and then he'll disappear for two to three drives. So just consistency with him. But you talk about a guy that's going to be a combine warrior. I yeah. think he's definitely going to be run. He's going to run fast in the 40. He's going to look very twitchy in the new figure eight drill that they have going on just because he has those hips. He has that ankle flexion that you're looking for as well. So I think he's one guy that maybe you take in the third round that's like yeah. a multiple piece of clay that could end up being a, a very productive starter on the next level. But he's definitely a, a project right now. Yeah, we have seen edge more so than any other position. This actually matters. Like this yeah. actually matters for edge. These numbers are very projectable to the next level. And speaking of just like scouting certain positions, which one as a former quarterback, obviously you probably feel like you have, have a good handle on QBs, but which positions would you say like, my takes on those I feel good about? Like maybe some, I, not every position, no one's going to hit every position out of the park. But which positions are you like, my track record speaks for itself on those? A cornerback. That's one position that I do like a lot just because it's just something about seeing. 
a guy being able to shut another guy down that just intrigues me and then i love guys that really talk a bunch of junk while they're doing it and can back it up as well <laughs> yes, so i'm with um, you there sir <laughs> yeah i hated cornerbacks when i played but i yeah. enjoy watching film it's like you them. knew the ones they yeah. didn't want to go after <laughs> cj henderson of florida i've talked to him a bit he does not talk trash yeah. he is very quiet but then you compare him to like uh jeff gladney yeah. is a dude that likes to jaw quite a bit and darnay holmes he told me at the senior bowl he doesn't like to talk trash i'm not buying into that oh, that no, guy not at all. that guy is a trash talker 100 yes. jumping back to the combine here a little bit i want to get your opinion of like, some predictions of who you think is going to really win or stand out here at the combine who's going to test really well that maybe could surprise some people uh, i think tristan worse definitely is a prime oh, candidate <laughs> i think he's going to test out of the world out of this world he's probably going to run four nine uh, he's going to bench press out of this world just because we've seen all the weight room records that he has broke at iowa and he's a guy with the mock draftable spider chart is probably going to be near the top oh at man a lot Calvin of johnson ask just whole <laughs> yeah. thing there and then he had a 34 <laughs> inch arms which i think was terrific for him just because there's yeah. been some talk of him maybe transitioning inside to guard but i think that was kind of silly just because of what he's put on film he's played right tackle and he played left tackle when alaric jackson went out with the injury yeah. knee injury early on this year for two games against miami ohio was one game where he just pitched a shutout he was terrific in that game so i think tristan Worth definitely is one guy. I was gonna say, if he didn't come, if he came with thirty, so he came with thirty-four inch arms. Like, why are you moving them to guard? Like, what, yeah. what was the talk of moving them to guard? The movement skills, the explosiveness, that's all there. And he's three twenty. Yeah, like maybe that's it. I don't know, but that I fully expect him to win as well. What are your thoughts on sort of the positional strengths of this class? So everyone knows tackle, wide receiver, mm-hmm. great positions. What's that? What's the next best position after those two? Oh, I think mind? it's corner. I yes. think it's corner by far just because I don't want to say quarterback just because I think it's top heavy. I think after yeah, yeah. the first five or six guys, I think there's a precipitous drop off after that. But corner, I mean, it's loaded in this class. And I mean, you have guys like Akuda, you have Jeff, or, uh, uh, Henderson, C.J. Henderson, yeah. that I think is terrific. Uh, Gladney is outstanding. Christian Fulton is another guy that kind of seems to be the forgotten about guy mm-hmm. just because we're talking about some of the other gla- guys Cameron in this Dantzler class. Yeah, too. Cam we Dantzler, about him a, bit. a guy I talked to last week. He's terrific. He's excited to be here. And he's starting to get some first-round buzz as well. A guy that's played well down the backstretch, and he was terrific against LSU and Alabama as well. Uh, Dantzler's terrific. Some other guys, Jalen Johnson is another guy I think has potential that's in that second tier as well. Well, I mean, I think that's what we wanted to get with you, Jordan. We really appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on Two for One Drafts. Uh, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find my work uh, on Twitter at jreednfl. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. And also <laughs> the draftnetwork.com. We have a bunch of stuff planned for this week and then leading up to the draft and through the draft in April as well. So, once again, you can find my work uh, on Twitter at jreednfl. And, no, I'm not the Redskins type. <laughs> as you say, enjoy <laughs> retirement, man. It's going to be fun. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Fantastic stuff, Jordan. Thanks for coming on. Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner. We got a friend of the podcast here, a PFF employee, Jeff Ratcliffe. You've been here longer than all of us have, right? You even got here before Mike, or I came in 2012. Okay, 2010. Yeah. Wow, you've been. Yeah. This guy's a lifer. elder statesman. So wow. talk to us about how you started with PFF and started in the fantasy industry. Really, it's a long story, but the the long story short is I was a procrastinating grad student. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I started grad school back in 2002. This was 2010, so math says Still. eight years, right? Uh, I was a advanced to candidacy, trying to write a dissertation, finish everything up, and wanted to procrastinate. I'd always loved football. I used to be a guy who played a lot of poker and wrote a little bit about poker, oh, and wow. then the bubble burst in, like, whatever, mm-hmm. 07 yeah, yeah. or whatever it was. And um, there was some point, round about June of 2010, I, I had the thought, hey, maybe I could write an article about fantasy football. Because I had my own little blog going on, which nobody read except me, pretty much. And um, I did a Google search. 
and it came upon this guy named Mike Clay who had his own site called Fantasy DC, Fantasy Depth Chart, and uh, sent him a, <laughs> I sent him a writing sample was about Beanie Wells. Like, oh, you wow. can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> Dude, I love Beanie Wells. Dude, it better have said, do not draft this guy again. <laughs> well, hey, I was drinking the Kool-Aid, unfortunately, back oh. then. But uh, I sent it to him. He liked it. He said, you know, I have a better opportunity, though, if you can wait a month. Oh, wow. And that opportunity was PFF. Now, he said, do you know how to use stats for fantasy analysis? And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't know how to use stats. <laughs> I had no clue. So, you know, that whole thing, like, fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. Well, I, I heard a better way of putting that is fake it until you are it because everybody is faking in the beginning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you put enough time into it, you eventually may become something. So early on for me, it was a, a volunteer position, low end, no pay. Nobody was getting paid for fantasy. And I just kept working at it, working at it, working at it. eventually worked my way within two years into, like, the number two spot. And, and then we started selling subscriptions a year later. And we finally started getting paid, and then Chris bought the company. Yeah. And, and then the rest is kind of history. And it's, it's just crazy because I did not expect myself to be sitting here at all. Not my plan. But sometimes life throws these things at you, and you just got to go with it. And I think you're in a great spot now for the listeners that don't know. I mean, Jeff Ratcliffe's the director of fantasy at PFF, director of fantasy football, and does a lot of great work. Definitely encourage you to follow him on Twitter and check, it out, check out his work on PFF.com. Let's dive specifically into the combine. You're coming out here to Indianapolis to look at these guys. You're looking at more skill positions. You're not looking mm-hmm. at interior defensive line and things like that. What are you looking to gain from this process? I want to either verify or disprove what I've thought coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have this... You have a set of things that you look at, different folks, it's going to be different things. And, you know, for me, when I get here and, you know, I see a player in person, like we saw uh, LaVisca Chenault, like, okay, he's a really big human being in person (laughs) for that position. You know, that sort of helps uh, verify what I had initially thought about him. There, you know, there are other aspects. I mean, we'll get to the testing you know, if guys run a certain time in the 40, that can verify or disprove, and it can move guys up and down the board a little bit. Uh, but those are really the big things from the combine. I think generally speaking, though, you know, a lot of what I have in place now is really going to – it's not going to move much between now and the draft. The draft, of course, everything changes for fantasy purposes. Yep. There are a lot of people out there, too, and I should mention this. They say, why do you do rankings before the draft? Oh, everything changes after the draft. Well, yeah, of course it does, ding dong. We know that. (laughs) But if we don't know how these guys stack up against each other on a a level playing field, Mm -hmm. then how the heck are we going to rank them after the draft? Yeah. Right? And that's the point. It's not saying, like, oh, you should draft these guys in this order always. It's these are how this is how these guys stack up in a vacuum. And then, yes, of course, we're going to assess when there's a depth chart, when there's a a scheme fit or or vice versa uh, after the draft. How much does statistical profile for these running backs, wide receivers, how much is that factoring into your projections for these guys? It's a big, a big factor. Now, the, the challenge, though, as we know, is, you know, different offenses are going to produce yeah. different numbers. Different competition is going to produce different numbers. So I always advise against looking at raw stats. But there are various metrics that we can use. Uh, you know, I love to look at efficiency. So for receivers, yards per route run is a great metric that I find actually, you know, regardless of level of competition, can be very insightful. Now, you can't – there's no be-all, end-all in terms of metrics, so you can't just use that exclusively. Running backs, I want to look at how they're creating after contact or, you know, how elusive they are in general. 
uh, quarterbacks. I'm looking at a few different things. Adjusted completion percentage is great because that that scrubs out the you know the error of the wide receiver or or whoever the receiver is. Uh, average depth of target. How far are these guys pushing the ball downfield? But again, can also be contingent on the offense a little yeah. bit too. So. I think you have to marry a lot of that with a little bit of what you're seeing as well. You know, there, there's a, a, a notion out there that fantasy analysts are just strictly numbers, and, and you have to be, to a large degree, about the numbers, but you also have to know the game and match up what your eyes are seeing to what the numbers are saying. Talk to us more about, you know, the work you've done already with, you know, the advanced data you do have access to working with PFF and some of the guys that are popping out in your rankings, maybe above others and things like that. So, I, I mean, this year was really interesting. I, I'm looking at a whole bunch of the stats that I have right now. Uh, actually, you know, by the time whoever is listening to this, when you're listening to this, it's already on the website. My overall 117, we, you know, nice, yep. nice round number there, <laughs> uh, players for It's basically all the skill position players in the combine. Uh, each one of those players, I tried to have some kind of stat that would pop. Now, granted, to dig up, you know, uh, a unique PFF stat on every single player is not always the easiest task, as Mike knows very well. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but some of them that are interesting, you know, so we just saw Antonio Gandy-Golden, uh, 37 deep ball targets. Now, why I love deep ball targets for fantasy purposes, and, and we're talking about a ball that's traveling at least 20 yards in the air, is that's big play potential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the sort of the pleasure and the pitfall of, of fantasy football is – that big plays have a massive impact. Touchdowns, I've gone on this rant so many times, touchdowns are worth too much. I I realize Mm -hmm. people say, okay, well, they're worth six in in the NFL, (laughs) so they're worth six in fantasy. Well, they're not always, right? Because quarterbacks are worth four Mm -hmm. in a lot of leagues. So why I say that they're they're overvalued, though, is the unpredictability of touchdowns. We see that, you know, especially with with, uh, heavy target volume wide receivers, like the Julio Joneses of the world. He's across all across the board, across the map in terms of his touchdown efficiency. I know there's a narrative that he just doesn't score touchdowns. It's not true. <laughs> but if I see a guy like this who is getting targeted heavily downfield, uh, I do know that there's some more big play upside, some more you know longer touchdown upside. But at the same time, we have the Mike Evans effect. And anybody out there, we talked about this you know off the air yesterday, people saying that Mike Evans isn't any good because he drops passes or something like that, or his catch rate is low. Of course his catch rate's low. He's, he's being targeted 16, 17, 18 yards downfield. Of course, mm-hmm. he's not getting Michael and Thomas. And it's James Winston throwing yeah, it. <laughs> but he's not getting Michael Thomas targets at like eight yards downfield. Yeah. Of course Michael Thomas is going to catch more balls, uh, more, a higher percentage of balls. So there's all these sort of double-edged swords to it, but I do love deep ball targets. It's one of my favorites uh, to you know paint a particular picture about these guys. So your approach here is unique uh, compared to us, or I guess just different compared to us, because you actually care about the running backs here. You actually <laughs> that actually is going to move the needle for you in terms of what you're doing. Give me some guy. Everyone knows kind of the top group. Yeah. Everyone knows the Jonathan Taylor off the charts production. J.K. Dobbins, you know DeAndre Swift, uh, even Zach Moss, Clyde mm-hmm. Edwards-Helaire. Guys know those guys. Super productive. Give me some names outside of that because those guys are going to go highly whatever. Give me some names, maybe that, that, that third-round guy or the day-three guy that you're like, if he goes to a situation where he could start, he will start and be And I think that's productive. really key in today's yeah. NFL because 
we're not seeing a lot of guys go in the first round. And mm. even day two, like if you see these guys go day two, you know there's a good chance they could be starters. Yeah, they're yep. slotting in. You know, right away. But the day three guys you often get a lot of value with. So I'm, when I look down through, you know, past that top group, uh, somebody like Keyshawn Vaughn, um, 17 runs of 15-plus yards. I think he's interesting. I think Anthony McFarlane Jr., no relation to Booger. He is uh, related to Booger. Is he, is he, he's I think he's Booger's son. I, think, I thought it was Booger's son, I thought. He's not Booger's son. No? I don't no? Think he okay, is. never mind. Sorry. <laughs> Booger Jr. Uh, I think he's fascinating because, well, first and foremost, everybody fell for the Ty Johnson thing. Yeah. And didn't he – he displaced Ty Johnson in that backfield pretty mm-hmm. much. Uh, he – could be interesting. I mean, last year you kind of have to discount because of the injury. Yeah. Could be interesting, but where does he land? Uh, you know, th- it's a deep enough class. A.J. Dillon. A.J. Yeah. Dillon, e- enormous human Monster. being. Makes me feel like a small child. <laughs> and he's one of those, A.J. Dillon, if you're drafting A.J. Dillon, because you want to run the ball. Like, yeah. if it's because you want to pound the run. Like, you're going to be one of those teams. So he'll go to a situation that yeah. he'll probably get touched. I think he weighed in, what, six foot, 247 pounds. Yeah. I saw someone <laughs> looking at him and saying, yeah, he's this short yards back. But I don't see him as a short yards back. He doesn't have that burst to hit the line of scrimmage quickly. I see this guy as, like, when he gets ahead of steam, he can actually hit a decent top speed. There's people that talk about A.J. Dillon as hitting, like, a good mark in the 40-yard dash. I feel dash. like he goes fourth, fifth round to the Jaguars, and then oh, it's just yes. like oh, Fournette so goes down, and all of a sudden it's AJ Dillon again. Like, like a oh, second pair, second offensive lineman. <laughs> it's like they got a Leonard Fournette. Man, that's that's wild. I, I think that's fascinating because the comp that I have in my little list is here Leonard? is Leonard Fournette, uh, and and what I like about him is he does have the ability to make defenders miss. He's not just like a straight line. I'm going to run into you. He has like a one cut bounce mm-hmm. off my legs kind of thing going yeah. on with him. But he is like if he's if his feet stop. He's done. Like, yeah. That guy has no second sort of added agility there. Give us some of your other favorite player comps. I didn't know you were diving into that in the fantasy world. I like I like player comps. Yeah, so if you're listening to the other podcast, which you should be, or at least yes. subscribe. You don't have to listen. Who, who am I kidding here? <laughs> you just have to download. It, it is. It is <laughs> and uh, play it uh, randomly in your house. <laughs> a very creative name, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast wow. with Jeff Rackley. Hard to find, probably. Yes, very, very <laughs> difficult. But uh, I have talked about this. So my objective wasn't to find, like, how Mike is finding player comps. Like, I'm looking at statistical comps. Mm-hmm. I'm not really worried about is he this player, but who is he most similar to in a few of those key areas, some of these stats that I've been talking about, and, of course, PFF grades. But for running backs, I'm looking at things like forced missed tackles and yards after contact, a little bit of the receiver profile as well. So when I look through some of these guys, like, it is interesting at the top – uh, J.K. Dobbins was very similar from a metric standpoint to Ezekiel Elliott, which Dude, we've been saying that you know yeah. makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, in here, I, I I did think it was interesting. So, uh, Cam Akers, the comp, the most similar player was Damian Harris, and I you know they're not to me necessarily no, similar no, players no at all at all. But the the comps, the the statistical comp was there, so I thought that was fascinating. You know, going through some of the different positions at wide receiver. Uh, I thought Jerry Judy was fascinating because you keep hearing people say OBJ and that that sort of thing. The player who he was very similar to from a t- statistical standpoint was Deontay Johnson. Let's go. I love that one. I love Deontay Johnson. And because, see, like, sort of like the way they move is similar. Judy's just like way more explosive. Exactly. But, yeah. And that's the point, too, that I keep trying to make is I'm not trying to say he's going to be Deontay Johnson. Like, he could be a rich man's Deontay Johnson. It's just statistically they were, you know, very similar. Uh, T. Higgins. Mike Williams, you yeah, know, it's, it's that one's too easy. It's too easy. 
uh, McCole Hardman for Henry Ruggs. They were very similar wow. from a, mm-hmm. a metric standpoint. Uh, all of this information, I could do this all day long, but I am going to write this stuff up. This is going to be premium content on the site, so of course you got to subscribe. It's a great time to subscribe because you get Mike's work. You get all the rookie stuff if you play fantasy. You get Austin's stuff. You get yep. everybody's stuff. Uh, and, and it's going to be out at some point in March, and then that will also be in our uh, our build-up to the NFL draft with all the fantasy rookie content. That's fantastic. I really appreciate you having on two-for-one drafts. I and mean, You obviously have the Fantasy Football Podcast, all the stuff you do for PFF.com, but you know, tell us more where people can check out your work. Sure, uh, absolutely. So uh, right now, in addition to PFF, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Jeff Ratcliffe, unless I already muted you. Uh, and then on Instagram as well, at Jeff Ratcliffe. Uh, you can find me on the YouTube channel, the podcast. And SiriusXM will actually be doing uh, shows from here, from the Combine, and then we anticipate being back on air at some point in the offseason, and then we'll ramp back up once fantasy season starts in July. Really appreciate it. You're a mute guy or a block guy on Twitter? Well, I used to be a block guy, but, you know, the one thing that happened with the block is people would screenshot the block. And then put it out there. Yeah, and then put it out there. Whereas if you mute, they never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I mute. So I, 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 mute. I have one guy blocked, and it's John Costco, who also works at PFF. <laughs> there you blocked. go. I, I blocked him, too. That's fantastic. I've done, I like to mute conversations. I feel like there's yeah. certain, like you oh. send out a mock draft. It's like, okay, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I just honestly can't do this. But thanks again, Jeff. Really appreciate you having on. We'll definitely have to bring you on again. Yeah, pleasure's all mine, guys. Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, another guest here live from Indianapolis at the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine. John Ledyard. Of Peterport, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. This is, feels like a real honor to be on this podcast with <laughs> you. It is. It's big. We've only had like four guests now. Yeah, wow. not so. a ton of guests. Really? Like, we, don't, yeah. we haven't done a ton of guests, so you're you're Gosh. one of the few. One of I the feel crowd. a lot of pressure, though. I think I better <laughs> knock this out of the park. Well, let's start off with a little background. We've been doing that with some of the other guys we mm-hmm. brought on, but some background on how you got started covering the NFL draft. I know you're doing a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers focused stuff now with Pewter Report, but I know your first love yeah. was the NFL draft, and that's why you're still in this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I've been, I think something about the draft that when I first was getting in the media field, and you guys, I've, I think at PFF, have recognized this and, and really taken advantage of it as well, is that there's a lot of kind of coverage out there, but a lot of it's spotty, and there's not a lot of people doing the whole thing really well. And so for me, it was like, I think the interest is there from fans to see this whole thing done really, really well. But it just it, – no one had really – at that point you know, when I was first starting out, now you've got a couple of places that are doing it really well, I think. Um, but w- when I was first starting out, there wasn't really one place that was doing the whole thing mm-hmm. really well and tackling the draft, you know, top to bottom. I mean, people were like, oh, these guys could go – you know, he could be the last pick in the draft. Well, fans still want to read about him. And, you know, from the time he's drafted until the time he gets cut – fans are going to be somewhat somewhat excited or at least interested <laughs> on what he can do for your team. So there's just so much excitement, and all 32 teams are kind of hopeful. The good ones want to get better. Mm-hmm. The bad ones think they can turn the corner. And so because of that, I just felt like, man, this is a real opportunity to create content that nobody else is kind of creating um, and, 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 and generate interest where there's kind of – it comes and goes in other areas with the season and whether your team's good or not. This is one that I think year to year everybody is just in on the draft. You know, if your team's bad, you're still in on it. That's the thing. It's like you got no matter what happens, you get better. Yep. Like mm-hmm. there's only there's only a handful of teams like in NFL history that have actually gotten worse from a draft. Like mm-hmm. have gotten like have a torpedoed their actual team. You know, right. the, the Browns, Johnny Menzel, one of them. But yeah, th- th- there are 
you're going to get better. You speak to like the hopefulness of it. Like fan bases are hopeful more so than even approaching free agency because a lot of the players that you are signing, there's like known evaluations mm-hmm. on these guys. But you're more hopeful entering the draft because a lot of it is unknown. Like you don't know what projects relate to the next level. Is it production? These traits and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's easier to be hopeful because there are so many unknowns. There's so many hits and misses. Like this process is still very much. Um, you know, a lottery at right. a, at a certain point. So I think it is interesting. I think it's easy for fans to get on board with that because anyone can have a take. Anyone can be interested. Anyone can yeah. like these guys. And I think that's important. you can go to YouTube and all of a sudden have a take. Yeah, yeah. it's like, <laughs> you know, like they can call Twitter. a guy a third rounder, and yeah. people do. Yeah. Yeah. And people do. <laughs> oh man, like this guy. There's no way this guy will be available yeah. in round two. There's I, I really like this guy. He's he's a better person. Right. Like, it's like, dude, what is going on? Like, yeah. you guys are having some hot takes. Well, let's get into some of your hot takes. I know you dropped recently a <sighs> mock draft, a 2020 mock draft yeah. on, the, on a similar day that I dropped my first mock draft on PFF.com. I don't He's know what your game up. is here, John, <laughs> but I'm a little upset. No, anyway, go. Walk us through that one, that mock, Renner. I know you have it pulled up. I was going to say, it starts off, draft starts at number four here because obviously Burrow, Young, and then you have Miami Dolphins trading up for Tua Tagovailoa, but the New York Giants, Tristan Wirfs, the Iowa offensive tackle. So uh, that means you're seeing him, thinking the NFL is going to be yes. high on him. What are you seeing there? What, explain that thought process for us. Yeah, this one was a little bit tough for me because I'm trying to put myself in Dave Gettleman's mindset, and I see a guy like Wirfs. It's a possible, I know, right? not gonna, yeah. <laughs> That's Getting a scary, anyone. scary place <laughs> yeah. to be in, obviously. But I'm, I'm also thinking, like, man, the size that mm-hmm. Wirfs offers – potential versatility between guard and tackle depending on what they need down the road or the fact that he loves to draft interior offensive line. I was going to say if like he if he was a guard that might even be higher on Yeah, I know right. He could he would love to play five guards <laughs> if he could. So, I think those things, the upside, I think he the potential for him to be excited about those things. But also for me on tape, I don't know and I feel like I'm kind of alone in this based on everyone I've talked to so far, but I really left Worf's, Worf's tape kind of with something to be desired still. Like, I think that he did get better, as you guys have noted, I think, toward the mm-hmm. end of his of his final year at Iowa, and I think that's something noteworthy. But at the same time, I think he was really inconsistent in reaching past set points and, and how he got out of his stance. At times, you saw this great explosiveness. And there were reps where his tools look unbelievable. Yeah. But I think the inconsistency with him is still very real, and it scares me a little bit because I don't know what to quite expect at the next level. I think inconsistency at that position, you know, we talk about a guy like Mitchell Schwartz. I know you guys love him. Mm-hmm. And what I, Mitchell Schwartz doesn't have these unbelievable athletic or physical traits maybe, yeah. but what he has is just unbelievable technique and consistency. Mm-hmm. Worfs is kind of like the anti-Mitch Schwartz right now in some ways, I think, and that I think he has a lot of development still to undergo. And if he lands in a place that can do that for him, he could be the best tackle in the class. But I am worried about that because I don't think the NFL has always done a great job of developing that position. So his landing spot is more important to me than I think I've seen other analysts express, and I think he might be a little bit more boomer bust. Interesting. And th- I like what you brought up there about the, the sort of the inconsistency of his explosiveness because you can watch a bunch of his tape, and if no one told you that he was you know, shattering Brandon Scherf's record for the hang clean and that was this like unbelievably explosive athlete, mm. you might not know it. Like Jedrick Wills, Alabama offensive tackle, that one pops off every single play. Right. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, like, you can watch a handful until, like, one rep, and then you'll see, oh, my God, like, he carries a guy, like, down the football field. But play to play, you're not really seeing it quite as much, I would say, from him. And with Wirfs, too, I think, you know, Mike brings it up a lot. Like, obviously a great athlete, broke all those records at Iowa. But it's such a technical position, and when you do lack that technique and you lack inconsistency with technique, it makes it very difficult because you have to progress as a technician in order to actually thrive at that position. It's not like other positions where if you are a pure athlete, you're going to dominate and have this higher floor like no like even if you are this absurd athlete you can struggle based off like technique weaknesses and things like that move further in the mock i was what gonna else say let's keep it going in the mock here you have 
C.D. Lamb going at 11 to the New York Jets mm-hmm. as the first receiver off the board. LaVisca going 12 to the Raiders. And then Jerry Judy to the Colts at 13. Is that how you see this wide receiver class, or is this more like you think the NFL will see mm-hmm. it like that and be you know a little yeah. afraid of Jerry Judy being undersized, that sort of thing, slot guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd call it fear or anything. I, it's not quite how I see it. I think Lamb and yeah. Judy are the best, too. I like Ruggs a lot, a lot, a lot, like a first-round yeah. grade Ruggs. Chennault, I think, is just, I'm not quite sure. I watch his tape, and I see a player who has tons of physical gifts oh, yeah. that I think Oakland will be enthralled yes. with. and. Given their current structure, he is the type of receiver that makes a little more sense to me for their offense than a Judy or a Ruggs, unless they're going to suddenly yeah, – I've heard mixed opinions like Derek Carr wants to push the ball down the field, but we just don't have <laughs> receivers to push the ball down the field. Or I don't know. I don't think I don't he think wants Derek to push Carr the ball wants, down the field. I think we got a big enough sample. I, I, no, I think we have, right. So my opinion has been consistently in these mocks to give them a receiver who he can get the ball to, who can make plays with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. To me, I think that is Chanel's game. So I think that that fit made sense. But I think Judy and Lamb are the best two receivers in the class, and Ruggs is going to be in that conversation depending on his landing spot. So I think those are the best couple guys. I really am. I think one of the most curious things about the draft is how the NFL is going to see it, and are they going to, are certain teams going to fall in love? Like everybody wants to put Denver and Henry Ruggs together, and I get it because, yeah. I mean, how could you not watch Drew Locke in college and think this guy is a guy? Yes, if you give him a he made Emmanuel receiver, Hall look good, I right? Mean. <laughs> exactly. Like Emmanuel Hall didn't even get off his first training camp. And Drew Locke made him look, yeah. I mean, great. So I just think if you get a guy that's better than that with, with ball skills that Emmanuel Hall didn't have but still with that speed. Route running, too. I, I think Henry Ruggs, we bring him up all the time, not just a speed guy. That's kind of becoming common on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But, like, you watch him late in the year, like watch him against Christian Fulton. And he did develop as a route runner. I think he's going to be very good out of the gate, maybe surprise some people with what he does at the line of scrimmage and how he separates. I want to go back. How unfortunate is it for the Oakland Raiders to have a situation, a quarterback situation, where you're not going for Judy, you're going for LaVisca because your quarterback doesn't want to push the ball downfield? That is criminal, okay? And I agree with you because I think LaVisca Chanel, I think, would get utilized more effectively in the Oakland Raiders' offense with Derek Carr and his low average depth of target. But to pass on Judy because of that is just an unfortunate unfortunate situation because Judy, I think, objectively, the better player. And going back to what you said, Mike, uh, Undersized for Jerry Judy, him and CeeDee Lamb. I mean, weighed in very similar. I do think Jerry Judy like skinny. They're both like skinny. Yeah, Judy. both skinny guys. One ninety two for Judy. Yeah, one ninety two, one ninety eight for CeeDee. And, and Ruggs was one eighty eight. So, yeah, oh, yeah, which was great. That one's for him, a, that one. Yeah, I was to say that one's a little surprising. He looks a little more solid, but that's yeah. his lower half. I don't figure like upper body not and as much. I, I think We're, the size concerns are a little overblown with Judy. I, I think yeah. he can he can separate on the outside. I think I, I would not want to limit him to the slot at the next level. I mean, he they couldn't touch him when they pressed him. Exactly. Like, oh, it yeah. was like unbelievable. I was looking for a rep where, like, a dude, like, locked him up down a scrimmage. I mean, guys barely even laid a finger on him. It was crazy. It's absurd. I don't know. This guy's got legit talent. I do agree, though. Chenault to the Raiders. I think that one's, like, just going to happen. Maybe not at 12, maybe 19, but I love that Mm -hmm. fit. Uh, Let's go on to the one, though. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 14. Pewter Report. (laughs) I think this one, you're literally just trying to get your fan base horny because you got Jedrick Wills here who's not making it to 14. This guy... We've said it. I you're you're going to no way him right now? No way. He gets to 14 with how, how many teams in OT and then what he's going to put up at Scott. Listen, yeah. right? This is an unfair characterization of my mock <laughs> drafting skills. I was not intentionally putting him at 14. I just saw how the board fell, and I was like, man, 
if the Giants take worse, what are the Browns going to do? Well, probably not the smartest thing, right? Well, <laughs> maybe it could happen. I don't know. But I would think – uh, So I just was like, okay, maybe Mekhi Becton goes there, or maybe Mekhi Becton goes at four, and you know the, the Cardinals just re-signed DJ Humphreys, which they could still yeah, very easily go offensive tackle. And, and they Especially should, a guy like yeah. Wirfs. I mean, right. as athletic yeah. as he is, mm-hmm. and he's got that versatility, I think Arizona Wirfs is a, is a thing they could see if they don't go CeeDee Lamb, which I think is another one. Rejoining Lamb right. with Kyler I think is just too good to not yeah. happen. I do feel pretty strongly the Bucks will take an offensive tackle. I yeah. don't know whether it will be Wills, but I do feel pretty strongly about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah I – well, when one of them's locked up and is also still not good, you, you right. probably need an offensive sack on the other side of the pass. Hey, you said for it about me. <laughs> I did not say that. I just want to go. <laughs> All right, let's get to one of the hot-button guys here who's not going to test, and it's number 16 overall pick, Atlanta Falcons, Kayvon Chase on the edge from LSU. We are lower on him than a lot of other people just because, well, he didn't produce too much right. at a high level this past year. But what have you seen from him? I know you tweeted out the other day that you think he's actually a good run defender. I can get on board mm-hmm. with that take. Worry about pass rushing, consistency, the effort, yeah. translating. Yeah, he is one of the toughest evaluations in the class because we have a huge sample size now of players who have not reached double-digit sacks. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting out a number there that's mm-hmm. obviously represented a standard over time of guys who haven't reached double-digit sacks that have then tur- that were true edge defenders in college. You know, not, not talking about the Clay Matthews guys yeah, who yeah, kind of yeah. were off the who ball, were. but guys who were true edge defenders in college, which he was. I know he dropped into coverage, yeah. but he was a true edge defender. You know, not and that, yeah, really not that much. Yeah, r- yeah not, and not, that, not as much as LSU fans want to make you believe, by the <laughs> yeah. way. Listen to that. Um, <laughs> But I, so what? I, what I'm confused about with Chasen is that like there's obviously these unbelievable traits that's causing everybody to compare him to Denna Hunter, who was really the only. I mean, there's only been like maybe one or two guys that you would say yeah. reached a high level in the NFL yeah. and didn't get didn't get ten sacks in college, and he's one of those guys. And I am not sure that Chasen can get to where Hunter is just because they went to the same school and they both look <laughs> and ripped. they're both young and they're both I athletic. <laughs> I, you, you know, I don't know whether that's enough. Now I will say this: Chasen has a better chance of beating the odds than everybody, most everybody else has come before, mm-hmm. I think, in a similar position because he has unreal, freaky athleticism. I mean, he is one of the most flexible dudes I've scouted. Yeah. And so I think he has a better chance because of that. He's still a risk. I couldn't give him a first-round grade. I gave him a high second, which was, still makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But I'm just yeah. the potential is so enticing in a weekend. Well, Mike class. brings up all the time, and I think it's it's a great. It's like you know he's this athletic, he's this bendy. People are like mm-hmm. drooling at what he's going to do at the combine. Uh, apparently, it came out that he might not be testing. He's not, he's not to, right. not yeah. testing at the combine. Gordon regardless, of Report. regardless, I think with Chase on, it's like oh, he's this athletic. Why was he not beating college offensive tackles? Who are not? Athletic. Yeah, that, that aren't athletic. Yeah, that aren't. Right. Not all of them are going to be in the NFL. And I think when you struggle and like sacks, we laugh a little bit at sacks here at PFF. But like looking at his, you know pass rushing grades, would have proven to translate at a high level, correlate mm-hmm. to pass rushing production at the next level. He just doesn't have it. It does not have that consistency. And I think that's where our concerns are with Caleb. Well, the interesting thing with him, usually the freak athletes who are uh, you know not necessarily productive in PFF grade, the Bud Dupree's of the world, the uh, Gosh, the, uh, who was last year? Uh, Vic Beasley's probably an example. Uh, Vic Beasley and the last year Montez Sweat. Of the yes, those guys, right, right. They're like the true freak athletes who Jordan Willis. They will they will dominate. They will dominate like the unathletic tackle. They have a game where they just take over. And oh, they yeah. can't be blocked by that guy, guy. Can't move. But then they go up against better tackle, and all of a sudden they're shut out. The interesting thing about Caleb is like he goes up against Cosme yes. and has high level reps. He goes up yep. against Andrew Thomas, beats him a few times. Carmen in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just such a weird profile. Is that like? 
that's it's something the, we've never seen. Yeah, and that's, like the when, when I was watching Caleb on Chase, on like you expect him to win because he's this athletic and his pass rushing grades and his pass rushing performance is low. You expect him to win similarly to how Montez Sweat won, where he's beating unathletic offensive tackles all speed. But like mm-hmm. his high end reps are like good pass rush wins, like actually using his hands. The Cosme tape right. is fantastic. Like yep. you see these high end wins, you're like oh man, this guy might have more polish than maybe his production. Looks out, and I think I was talking to Mike recently about on the podcast saying like I think his interview is going to be interesting. Like, why didn't you produce at a high level? What, right. what you know, what, is it this injury that he did have a year ago or whatever it was, and why aren't you developing at a level to where you could be a dominant right. SEC you know edge defender? Why did you come out this year and, and st- not stay to kind of add more polish to your game? Because I think the interview process is going to be interesting for him a ton. Yeah, and one of the other things that's interesting, Mike. I think you brought up a great point about how he has these unbelievable reps against the top talent. Yeah, like he faced good talent. He also tore apart. I know you guys aren't tie on him but Isaiah Wilson from Georgia he had, yeah, yeah. he had like three inside spins on him and tore him apart I mean yeah. he couldn't block him and so and this is a guy that some people like Dane Brugler were saying the other day like I think he, he could go in the first round Isaiah Wilson and Caleb on chasing was surprised. cooking if him, Isaiah yeah. Wilson goes in the first round just because he's big I mean come on he I mean, can yeah. move though for a big dude uh, yeah he can I mean there's some things I like about him but bottom line with Chasen is the most puzzling thing to me on his tape and why I think you're exactly right Austin his mm-hmm. interviews are going to be huge I don't know what's happening on some of his reps. Like, he walks the first two steps off the line, and you're just not going to win after that. Exactly. So I don't know if it's an effort thing, though, because they, they gave him the 18 number and, like, they herald his character and his effort. <laughs> so I'm, like, not sure what the you're issue is. You're scouting jersey numbers, John? Don't do this. Well, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. LSU is the 18 thing, you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like, for the, for the high character guy. So I am, I am just kind of curious, like, was he being instructed to contain? Is that? I, I don't know. I, I yeah. honestly don't know. Yeah, that may sound. I, I do. I, just, I do think the interview process is going to be important. Like asking him why he thinks his pass rush production isn't in the same tier as these other guys. Like right. why and why he didn't come back. I think asking why he didn't come back and what he feels he's already good at is going to be really, really important mm-hmm. for him. Move forward in the mock. What else? Couple got? more. Couple more. I want to touch on twenty-seven Seattle Seahawks. You have them going. Josh Uchi, the edge defender from <laughs> Michigan, who I actually said going in this week. I think he might be a faller because. Undersized guy. I'm not sure he's going to test. He's not testing. Oh, he's not even testing. I, I don't think he's testing. I think I saw something he oh. said he's not testing. I was going to say, who is testing? <laughs> I was saying, I'm not sure he's going to test on like an elite level. And if you're yeah. undersized and not an elite athlete, I worry about that. What did you see from him that you're putting him at 27? Well, this definitely not my, what I think. I okay. think I think he could he go in the first round, but I, I would have said this week is obviously huge for him because you're yeah. right. If you're undersized and a ba- and not a good enough athlete, yeah. you know you could, that's the thing. You can be like a pre, like Arden Key. I think was an example of somebody who tested like pretty decent. I think his testing was like okay, but he was 231 pounds, so his testing yeah. was like horrible exactly. because he was so light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and he didn't wear number 18, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Had some off field stuff there at LSU. Exactly right. So and he was like 280 at one point, and then 230. I don't know what <laughs> you hate to there. see. That. No, exactly. Addicted but, to Swedish fish? Or no? <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard that story about Jakai Fly? How he no. was addicted to Swedish fish and then he had like wean off candy, specifically Swedish fish. We bring it up on the podcast a lot, but like that's a red flag. Like, I mean, if, it's one thing to be like struggle with weight and things like that, but like if you're addicted to like an objectively terrible candy, well, like, like struggling yeah. with weight is itself a red flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, you know. true, true. Yeah. But it's even worse when it's like, yeah, Swedish fish was my, my weakness. It's like, dude, like Reese's Cups, right. Snickers. Like, like exactly. there's a lot out there, man. Like, Swedish fish, find a brighter light. That would have probably taken him off my board, to be honest. I mean, we were close to it. We were close to it. But, yeah, I think that's the big thing with Uche is that, and I had a bunch of Seahawks fans tweet at me, and they were like, you're, you're exactly right. This is exactly what we'll take. They weren't even saying, <laughs> yeah, they weren't like even saying we'll, like, we'll like it, but well, this is like the kind of guy that they really like. So, so I always do on a mock, and I try to think of team and player fits uh-huh. and needs, and that made sense to me from that perspective. I think that's too high for him. Okay. I love what he could be, but I do think there's a lot of work needed. Okay, let's get to 32 because this is a guy that you believe in actually going here, I would think. As a first rounder, Kansas City Chiefs going Damon Arnett, the Ohio State cornerback. Yeah. 
the other Ohio State cornerback, yeah, as it is, right. uh, the, the Gary and Conley of this year's class. I really liked Arnett's tape. I mean, I know that that like he doesn't get the buzz of Okuda, and he's not as good as Okuda, obviously. But I really thought he got a lot better this year, and I wasn't really high on him before mm-hmm. the season. Like I thought, okay, here's the guy that has traits, but he didn't really know what he was doing. I feel like, and there's been a lot of good buzz out of there in terms of he really applied himself this year yeah. and really took to his technique and developed. So I am pretty excited about him because I've always thought he was a pretty good athlete. Yeah. Is he a great athlete? That's so. Hopefully, we'll find if he has end up one of being the few who test yeah we'll find out something about mm-hmm. him this week but i do think he showed i mean there were some games where he's like a pass breaking machine he was like knocking down passes against everybody couldn't complete one on him there's games where he gets got for sure i think mm-hmm. a little bit but i liked him i thought he had borderline first round type of talent i know there's been some character stuff floated out there that's gonna have to be vetted though and this week will be big for that and it is interesting he has best year by far with the hands like cast all year yeah, long, yeah, which yeah, is right. like not gonna help you <laughs> play much but his crazy. ball skills at the catch point i mean he has as good as anyone mm-hmm. i wrote i think i wrote the guy he's a volleyball player the catch point and it just swats the shit out of the passes right. but uh what do you think about him being 23 years old right how much does that factor into yeah. an eval when a guy turns it on but oh yeah he's also like a grown man playing boys developed and that's the same thing yeah. ashton davis who I have at 31, I think, to the 49ers mm-hmm. in this mock. I love Ashton Davis. I think the fit could definitely be there, but he's also going to be old. I think he's yeah. going to be 24 maybe early in his like in uh, October or something, exactly. yeah, he is. something like that. He's, he's an he's older, older prospect. Yeah. Right. I think it matters a lot to me if you're not developed. It matters okay. more to me if I see like good technique, and that's kind of a lazy. Everybody would say that probably. It's thought about it, but I think mm-hmm. that's where kind of where I'm at, mm-hmm. and it's certain positions that may matter more to me, but it doesn't matter a ton to me at 23 just because – I mean, if you're getting a first contract out of a guy and he's a good player, exactly. you know, at that end of that first contract, you know, in the first round, it can be 27, 28. Then you have to evaluate kind of at that point, like what he is, I guess. But 23 doesn't scare me off. Ashton Davis, I loved his tape. I think his tackling at times and his and his uh, his age are the only real big concerns I have. Yeah. I think he's the real deal. Still learning the position, though. I mean, yeah. you look at his background. He sent a couple emails to the athletic director at Cal saying, like, hey, could I get a tryout for the football team? He's a track star, and then mm-hmm. comes on and learns the position, I think, very quickly, in my opinion. And I think there's been some rumors that people question his toughness, but I'm not buying it. I mean, this guy, I think he's, he's a tough guy. Safety, yeah, I, he's not going to be a box safety, but free right. safety, I, you speak to his tape. I mean, this guy has some stupid high-level reps on his tape, mm-hmm. great range. That Oregon game. I mean, I feel like the Oregon game, you pop on that tape, it's very good. I want to finish this, uh, finish this one with you, John. Give me some of your your guys like guys that you're higher on and then we'll dive into some guys that maybe you're lower on than some others Good yeah guys. so arnett and davis are actually two of yeah. those guys at the end of that mock those are two guys i've really liked mm-hmm. i actually have first round grades on both of them with testing pending oh nice and some of that other stuff i know arnett's character i don't really factor in character because i don't know him but yeah, if so then tough, he can though. be undrafted whatever like i don't know yeah but I, I liked them both in that range and those are kind of the unusual guys that i have that high i also I know you guys love Josh Jones. I also love Josh Jones. I am kind of think, waiting for the tape. Everyone's, everyone's on. There. Everyone's like, on. Where does he get beat? Why do people? Why does everyone not like him? At least, <laughs> at least like him. Like he doesn't get beat him. on tape. Yeah, so yeah. I am, I am confused about level why. of competitions overrated with him too. I mean, he does a really, really good job, and he his grade improved every year yeah. of his career. We talked to yeah. Dane Brugler of the Athletic. He had a different offensive line coach like every year of his career at Houston, mm-hmm. and then finally put it together this past year. I, I think Josh Jones, like he's just scratching the surface yeah. too. I think he could be really, really good in the NFL. Right. So I like him. I, Dane Damian Lewis from LSU is a guy that, man, I loved his tape, and then I watched him in the senior bowl. I was like, I'm telling you, this guy can move. Oh, man. He is not just like a, a stationary guard, the stand of mm-hmm. the guy. I really, in a weak class, I like him. I think the NFL might end up being higher on him, too, than, than people are currently, mm-hmm. where you kind of see him late in the top 100 or out of the top 100. I think he might go higher than expected. So I really like him. I like Cushenberry, too. Some things scare me with him because there's some tapes where, like, Derek Brown just, like, beats him in, in like, half a second. I'm like, Ooh, like yeah, yeah. So I think he may have limitations. I like 
no one was talking about him, and I was like, I like some of his tape. Mm-hmm. And now yeah, everybody's yeah. like, put him in center one and like the top forty, and I'm like, uh, that yeah, might that's be a, a little high. I don't think I like Bradbury last year, so, and yeah, I know he had a rough Here year. Here we so go. Maybe maybe I'm the wrong person <laughs> to ask about center, but I don't know if he's we, uh, we, but, we buried Bradbury. For I know, I know. Oh, man. It's been hey, tough. I still think he has a shot. I still think he has <laughs> no, a chance. It's, I mean, it's rookie. I, I'm, yeah, I'm giving him some time, but uh, yeah. So I those are some of the guys that I, I like maybe a little bit more. There's others too, but those are the top guys in my mind that I like have higher maybe than other people do. Who are you lower on? Who are some guys that you're, you're seeing this first-round hype or even, like, top hype and then that you're a little bit lower on? I can't get on board with A.J. Epinesa, like, at all in the range he's projected. Wow. Like, I, I just can't do it. I There's too many games to me where I don't see any explosiveness. Um, I think at times he does get a good jump off the ball. I don't really even care if he's snap jumping, but is it consistent if you're snap jumping? Like, if you think you've got the timing, the cadence down, yeah. they're going to switch it up on you more in the NFL anyway, and it's going to be harder to hear. But I, I still think that I still think that there's just not enough traits, you know, for me to get really excited about guys who win primarily with their hands. I think in the college level, sometimes have a harder like who don't rely on who don't have any traits. I love the marriage of the two, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think they're going to have a harder time winning one v one in the NFL. The hands get better in the NFL. I mean, the hands get better and winning with you your hands. The offensive tackles, yeah, the offensive yeah. tackles get better. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good take. And he, but he he faced good competition, uh, you know, good competition. But I. Don't, Austin Jackson's another guy I'm lower on, oh, and yeah. he beat up Austin Jackson late in that game. Yeah, yeah. But I obviously I don't even think Josh Austin Jackson's mm-hmm. like a top 100 player. Like mm-hmm. that's how low I am on him. So I still struggle to see where Epinesa. Like he took it to the Minnesota kid. Mm-hmm. Well, that kid's gonna be like a dentist someday or something. Oh you know man, what I mean? like, dentist. He likes to I, say I'm going to the high end. I say Uber driver every time. It's like, <laughs> oh, this guy's not gonna play in the NFL. He's gonna be. A future I'm trying to Uber give him driver. a high end <laughs> occupation at least. Yeah. Or something, something. What about the other yeah. Minnesota tackle? That big dude, the guy that uh, on the broadcast. I don't think he faced him. Yeah, Fale, yeah. he didn't face him. But they, when I, I was he... watching a broadcast of a Minnesota game, and they pull up like he's the same weight as like 85 goats. It's like, what is going on, baby elephant? Like, what are we doing right now? But is that the Monday Night Football graphics? It might, it's, it might have been. <laughs> I don't show even know. It's like, yeah. Mo, it's like Noah's Ark, or is it Mo, I don't know. Moses Ar- Noah's Ark. They it's all Noah's walk Ark. on and, like, <laughs> right. scales tip. That's, yeah. Like, yeah. that's funny. So, Epides is one. Uh, yeah. Also, Yator uh, Gross Matos. Mm-hmm. Again, like, I think, I think people are falling off of him. He'll I, test better, maybe. It's weird, because DJ just moved him up his board. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I saw that. But, I, but I, I agree. I've fallen off. I, I am completely in the dark about. I've even talked to Penn State people who, like, not, like, people inside the organization, but people who, like, watch all the games, like, religiously, and they're just like, we're not really sure we get why he's going to be in the first round. Wow! Like they, I mean, he just didn't do anything consistently. There wasn't any type of anything yeah. that indicated. I mean, his me. pass rush production is bad. I mean, it improved a yeah. little bit ever over the course of his career, but I you never really he, saw that yeah. high end. He looks great. I get that. He's big. He's long. And guy, yeah. same. Probably I mean, going to test some guy. Like, whatever, <laughs> like, but I just don't know that we're going to see any type of pass rush success from him on a consistent basis in the NFL. And I don't know that. I'm even lower on him than Epinesa because I think Epinesa can at least kick inside and do some good things as a rusher, and he can have a role. I feel like Gross Matos is in that like quivering on the like bus territory where oh, I man. just don't know that there's yeah where it might a be great bad. spot yeah, for like, him. Yeah. At least Epinesa has a high floor in terms of, like you'll be a good run defender. Right, mm-hmm. like, right. It could be like rough he's going to come in like what six foot five, turn eighty pounds. I mean, yeah. this guy's going to be it's a different beefy. A different dude than most prospects yeah. size wise. But all yeah. right, let's finish up here. Really appreciate you coming on, John, mm-hmm. and, and thanks again. Go ahead and tell us where we we can find your work. Yeah, you can find at Ledyard NFL Draft L E D Y A R D um, NFL Draft and at Pewter Report too. Uh, you can find work uh, work on Twitter there and. Pewter Report, we're putting out, we put out a lot of draft stuff, too, because nice. draft has been a big season for Bucks fans. They get excited about it. Now that corner might be turning for the Bucks fans, so it's been, a, it's been fun to Corners. cover the draft. They're looking good, yeah. <laughs> yeah good. I do like, I mean, Finally. Dean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks again. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate Thank you guys for having me.